Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mavilliot Presbyterian podcast on Tuesday, the 13th of July, 2021. And for those who haven't recognised my voice already, my name is Ina Stanfield. Uh, and for those of you who don't know me, I am one of the elders here in Mavilla. I'm delighted that our uh, friend and brother, Paul Bailey, is joining us tonight and he will be bringing us God's word very shortly. He's no stranger to Mavilla and we love Paul very much and we really look forward to his ministry. Just to start with, with a verse from God's precious word, Isaiah 40 verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. And you know, that's a wonderful promise. Even the most inspired Christians can, from time to time, find themselves running on empty. The demands of daily life can drain us of our strength and rob us of the joy that is rightfully ours in Christ. When we find ourselves tired or discouraged or worse, there is a source from which we can draw the power needed to recharge our spiritual batteries. And that source is God. You know, just by tuning in tonight, setting this time aside, it's a way to recharge those batteries, to allow God to minister to us and to be encouraged and challenged by him. So you've made good use of your time tonight and we trust that God will speak to each one of us. We know that we will surely be blessed by his precious word of truth. So just as we begin tonight, let me just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, just as we come into your lovely presence, we just worship you, Father. We tell you that we love you. Father, there's none like you. You're precious and good and holy, and we love you so much. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity tonight to come, and Lord, just to hear from your word and to be encouraged and challenged, Lord. And we know that we need that so much. We need to draw from you continually and regularly, Lord, so that we are full up and that we can then face the challenges of life. Father, we just thank you that Paul's able to come and we know he will have prepared his message, Lord, prayerfully. And Lord, we just pray that you would anoint him, that you would bless him, Lord God, and that each one of us would just get that thing that we need to hear from you, Lord God. We thank you for your love and grace. Everything about you is perfect, Lord God, and we worship you. So, Father, I just pray that you would close us in with yourself tonight. And just think of those maybe who are tuning in, maybe even at a different time, Lord, or even tonight, Lord God, who maybe don't know you yet as Lord and Saviour. Maybe they're just searching, Lord God, and they want to know what it's all about. I pray that you would speak very especially to them tonight, Lord God, that you would open their eyes, that they would see Jesus, Father God, and that, Lord, you would draw them to yourself. Father, help us all to be encouraged, Lord God, and we just lift up your name tonight, Lord, and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Um, so we're going to start off um, by singing uh, Come People of the Risen King. And I know that will be very familiar to um, Osama Villa. It's a Getty and Townhead song. It's been written, it was written by them. But, you know, this song reminds us of the basis on which we approach God. And let's face it, we, or certainly I, regularly need reminding it's so easy for us, and especially in difficult times, to be so aware of our failures, our weaknesses, and our disappointments that we kind of keep our distance from God, 
feeling like we don't deserve to enjoy his closeness or, his exp or experience his love. You know, it's at this point we need to remember that we can never come to God on the basis of our own worth. We always come on the basis of what Christ has done. It is his righteousness, his total obedience that ushers us into the Father's presence and enables us to enjoy all the blessings that Jesus deserves. But we get them because we are in Christ. So let's sing together. Wherever you are, let's just raise the rift tonight, Lord, or onto our Lord and sing this song. Come people of the risen King. And that's us. So let, let's, let's praise the Lord. to 
Hello friends and welcome to the second of my podcasts. My name is Reverend Dr Paul Bailey and I'm very grateful to Robert Hamilton for allowing me to uh, occupy his podcast pulpit as it were and I just want to say a big thank you to Reverend Robert for that. If you were listening last week you'll remember that I have decided to cover four small but mighty books of the New Testament. Last week we looked at Philemon and this week we're going to look briefly at Second John. So because these particular epistles are really very short I'm actually going to read the entirety of Second John now. So we hear now the word of God. The Elder to the lady chosen by God and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in love and truth. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one that we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Amen. And we pray God's blessing on the reading of his word. Well, friends, let's just take a few moments to think about uh, some introductory issues to this particular epistle. Um, In terms of authorship, uh, Christian tradition has always said that the author of this epistle is the Apostle John himself. But there are very good reasons uh, for saying that. Whenever you look at the style of the Gospel of John and other key writings by John, like 1 John, well, the stylistic similarities are plain for everybody to see. So really, you have to be a very sceptical person to doubt the authorship of this book. So this is the Apostle John writing to us, but here writing a very short epistle compared to his famous Gospel. In terms of when he wrote this epistle, well, most New Testament scholars seem to think that John wrote around AD 85 to 95. So in the late first century, 
And who is he writing to? Who is this dear lady? Well, that's probably a kind of a code word for one of the churches. Agreed, we can't completely rule out that he's writing to an individual lady, but it's unlikely. So, in all likelihood, this is an epistle addressed to a church that is in communion or fellowship with the Apostle John. Then we get to the the meat of the issue, which is why is he writing and what is he writing? As you were listening to me read the epistle, you might just have been struck by how often a couple of words appear. A word that appears very often is love, but the other word that appears on a very regular basis is truth. And indeed, the whole purpose of this particular epistle might well be summed up in verse 3, which speaks of truth and love. I'll say more about this when we come to our conclusion and our applications uh, for this particular epistle, but I think you'll agree with me that very rarely in today's modern world is truth equated with love. Very often people in our modern society seem to think that actually covering over the truth or massaging the truth or even denying that objective truth exists actually equates to love. Well, this epistle sets out a very different vision. If you do have your your Bibles open, have a look there at verse 4 of the epistle. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And then in verse 6, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Some New Testament scholars call John the Apostle of Love because he he likes to talk about love so very much. He has a great deal to say about love. But this is what we need to take away from this particular portion of the scriptures, is that for John, Love is not a kind of a vague, airy, fairy thing. It is something that is very particularly rooted and concrete. So John is very clear in this point that love isn't just wandering about being nice in some kind of vague, amorphous way, but rather love in the proper biblical, godly sense, not in the airy, fairy notions of the world, is rooted in obedience to God. Real love, as far as the Apostle John is concerned, cannot be separated from obedience to God and his word. Everything else is just a pale imitation of love. In my last podcast, I spoke briefly about the idea of reconciliation and how the work of Christ reconciles us on the the vertical, as it were, between humanity and God, and it also reconciles us on the horizontal, from human to human. Well, the same thing can be said about godly love. The scriptures, from beginning to end, but obviously most clearly in the New Testament, explain to us that God has showered down his love upon us in Jesus Christ. And that requires a response on our part. So, because God first loved us, we respond in love to him. 
and our love extends in different directions. Our love extends upwards from us to God, and love extends laterally to our fellow believers and the world around us. And John is very firm on this point, and you'll find this scattered right across his writings, that if you make profession of Christian faith, but yet you are not showing love to your fellow human beings, your fellow believers in Christ, and if you're not showing love to the Lord your God, then you're actually no Christian at all. You are deceived. You are a liar. The writings of John can actually be quite strong meat at times, but they definitely repay a close study. If you want to read a lot more about John's view on the uh, the horizontal relationship, about how believers should relate to other believers in love, well, then you need to have a good long look at 1 John. But we don't have time to delve into it in any great detail now. But a quick summary would be simply that John says that if you profess to be a Christian, but yet you hate your fellow believer or you act maliciously towards your fellow believer well then, you are no Christian at all. You are deceived. Your profession of faith is false and worthless. But let's look at the the other direction here. How do believers demonstrate their love towards God? And John is very clear here. He says, if you want to show that you genuinely love God, you keep his commands. You obey what he has set down. If you quite willingly ignore and repudiate the commands of God, John says, you are not in Christ. You are no believer. So you can see there is a consistency to what John says here. He expects you as the individual believer to obey God's commands to love your fellow believers. And if you won't obey that command to love your fellow believer, well then you're in rebellion against God. In exactly the same way, he expects you to obey God's commands in regard to how you are to relate to God. You are meant to obey God. You are meant to honour God in how you behave and how you believe. I'm sure I'm not saying anything terribly radical here in outlining John's teachings, but I think it does rather undermine the claims of those who say God doesn't care what you believe or what you do. He really does. And John says that if you are deliberately rebelling against God, then you are no true believer. So I'm not going to labour that point any farther, but we then see how John really applies this in a very practical way to the life of the church that he's writing to. If you look at verses 7 through to 9, if your Bible is open, John says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So, what is he speaking about here? I'm sure that everybody listening to this podcast are familiar with the fact that the apostles were sent out into the world by Christ to spread the good news of the gospel. 
And someone like the Apostle Paul travelled all over the known world to spread that gospel, certainly as far afield as uh, Greece and Italy. But in a similar way, false teachers were at work. And from the very beginning of the period of the church, false teachers arose who came and warped Christian doctrine. And they manipulated that doctrine to fit their own particular ideologies, their their own philosophies, their own ideas. And in doing so, they completely changed the teaching about Christ that the apostles had given. One of the things in particular that they said was that Christ was not a real man. And I don't mean by that that they denied that he existed, but rather that he came in bodily form. In other words, that he was a kind of a a divine being without a a real body, that he was just a, a spiritual apparition or something like that. And when he went to the cross, he did not actually die, but he just disappeared or something like that. I don't want to get into a whole load of detail about the false teachings of these uh, dreadful people. Um, That's not really very edifying or helpful to us. But the point is that instead of, as with the apostles, speaking of how Christ was a real person who was yet fully divine, fully God and fully man, they tried to make him much less than that. And in doing so, they undermined the totality of New Testament doctrine. If you want to think about these people in even simpler terms, they were, theologically speaking, completely and utterly toxic. They were the worst of the bad news. What made them particularly dangerous, of course, was that they, just like the Christian preachers of the time, they went around and they would go and visit towns and they would visit synagogues and they would visit the early Christian churches. And very often, the early Christians who were young in their faith and were maybe not terribly deep in their theological understanding didn't recognize some of these people as false teachers. And so they welcomed them into their houses and their churches and listened to what they had to say. And through that particular subterfuge, Satan was able to completely wreak havoc on the early church. Many people were led astray. Many people had their faith in Christ destroyed. And that's why the Apostle John here is warning in these very strong terms that the church should be very careful indeed not to give any kind of encouragement to these false teachers. And this is why he gives this practical advice in verses 10 and 11. And you might think this seems very strange because the scriptures want us to practice love and hospitality. But John here says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this authentic teaching from the the scriptures, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. In other words, if you show hospitality to someone who is doing the devil's work, well then you are no better than they. So John is saying to us in the clearest possible way, don't give house room to Satan. Don't encourage the works of the evil one. One of the ways that we show our love 
to the one true God is to hold fast to the teaching that he has given us through Christ and his apostles. And if we encourage those who are repudiating the word of God, well then we are repudiating God himself. But if we hold fast to true biblical doctrine, we are showing our devotion to God. So friends, let's think of how we can apply these particular teachings from John. I think at the most basic and fundamental level, it is a reminder to us that we have to know what true Christians actually believe. There are quite a surprising number of Christians who really only have a very tenuous grip on what Christian doctrine is all about. Quite often I hear Christians say, well, I don't need to know all that deep stuff. And it is certainly true to say that the Lord does not expect us all to become international Bible scholars. But that's not the issue at stake here. We do need to know the basics of Christian belief and to be able to hold firm to those basics. We need to be engaged in consistent Bible study so that we know our Bibles. We need that knowledge in order to be able to spot and recognise someone who comes with a false, twisted gospel, which is no gospel at all. So that's my first point. I think it's very important that we do make sure that we have a thorough and sound grasp of Christian doctrine. The other thing I want to just think about for a few moments is the idea of actually giving house room to the devil. Now, you might well wonder, have I gone mad? There's just no way that you're going to allow false teachers into your house. But the truth of the matter is that Christians allow false teaching into their houses and into their hearts all the time. Satan is wily and he uses every tool at his disposal to try to fill your ears with false doctrine. Some 2,000 years ago, he would have been sending around these itinerant preachers who were spreading the false doctrines that we have spoken of. But nowadays, he has other means at his disposal. He has the internet. He has, dare I say it, podcasts. He has YouTube. And he also has books. And he has all kinds of things at his disposal. And very often, modern-day Christians are not showing the kind of discernment that they should in terms of what they consume. Let's remind ourselves what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11. He speaks of false teachers and he says in verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of of light, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. The point I want us to take away from this is that we have to be very cautious indeed about what doctrine we listen to and what doctrine we receive. The thing is, Satan is very clever. Whenever Satan causes a book to be published or a YouTube video to be launched or indeed one of those very attractive-looking TV programs on cable TV, the thing is that he makes sure that it does not appear to be false doctrine. Far from it, he makes it very appealing. He makes it sound sophisticated and persuasive. 
he makes it sound progressive and exciting. But here's the catch. No matter what beautiful bottle you put poison into, it is still poison. If you bake cyanide into the most delicious of pies, it is still cyanide and still has the same deadly effects. But what these spiritual snake oil salesmen are actually peddling is not real Christianity. It is a lightweight, false Christianity that may make us feel good, may make us feel very good about ourselves. But the fact is, it keeps us from true discipleship and true communion with Christ. And so, my friends, we need to be very careful to listen to the warning of Second John. The warning that there are false teachers in the world and that they are peddling snake oil, poison, to us day by day. And the only difference is that in the space of 2,000 years, the means by which that poison is being conveyed to us has just become all the more sophisticated. We have a Christian duty to discern truth from error. We have a Christian duty to test the spirits and to reject all that is false and of the devil. And that may seem very negative, but remember what the flip side to that is, that in holding fast to the truth about Jesus Christ, in holding fast to the gospel as it was first delivered to us, we show our love and obedience to the Lord our God, and we honour and glorify his name. Amen. Yeah.
feelings and what reward will heaven bring everlasting life with him there we will rise to meet the lord then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when christ is ours in Movilla. The praise that we have just heard was Christ Our Hope in Life and Death by Keith and Kristen Getty. It's such a wonderful praise that reminds us that God holds our lives within his hands and will keep us in his love. Our God is so wonderful, so powerful and so mighty and in his loving care he will provide for us abundantly. And we're going to take some time now in prayer for one another. So let's come to our God in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. We come before you recognising that you are our gracious, mighty and merciful God. We thank you God for loving us so much that you made a way for us to be reconciled and to be brought back into a relationship with you. We thank you for the rich blessing that we have in you and your constant love that gives us hope through all that we face in life. You're such a faithful Father. Forgive us when we doubt your word and rely on our own abilities. Help us to put our confidence in you, God, and walk by faith, trusting in your promises. Lord, we know that your commandments are best for us, and we thank you that you sent your Son to show us how to walk in love and in obedience. God, we know that we can't do this in our own strength. May we spend time with you, read your word, and allow the Holy Spirit to change us from within that we may grow in obedience to you and have hearts full of gratitude. Thank you for sustaining us and helping us, especially this last year through the coronavirus pandemic. And Lord God, we experience the, we, we pray for those who continue to experience sickness, whether it's due to COVID or other illness. Lord, you lived on this earth and when people brought their sick or paralyzed friends to you, you healed them. So we bring each one to you, Lord draw alongside them and we pray that they will know of your strength and your healing. Lord, though we may not know what lies ahead, you do. And you have told us that we can lean on you and trust you to carry us through. So may they know your presence, the mighty one who saves and will quiet them with his love. Lord, we lift up to you those who are grieving the loss of precious loved ones. 
We pray, Lord God, that you would hold them close to you, that you would comfort them, give them your peace which passes all understanding and give them a hope. We pray that uh, you will be close to those who are feeling sad and anxious, Lord, that you will flood their souls with your peace. Lord, you give us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. So may we trust in you in all things. Lord, we give thanks for those who are planning summer camps and Bible clubs at, at home and overseas in coming weeks. We pray that you will strengthen, guide and protect them as they work and witness for you. We pray that many young people will, will come along, will have a hunger to learn more and to develop a deeper faith that will transform their lives. And Lord, as, as students are, are graduating or, or young people are awaiting exam results and looking for jobs or making decisions about their future, we pray that, that they will walk closely with you, that they will have that joy of knowing that you're in charge and that you have great plans that will give them a hope and a future and that they have a purpose in life in you. And God, we thank you that you made possible the forgiveness of our sins because of your great love. Lord, we know that you rejoice when your children walk in truth and love. So we pray for our family, our friends, and, and for all who are listening this evening, Lord. We pray that you will pour out your spirit on them, that you will open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, and that they might fully know the truth that Jesus died, that we each might have eternal life. We pray that, that those who don't yet know you will repent and believe the good news and receive the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they will know you, the God of glory who gives abundant life. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you in prayer, and as we face the week ahead, we pray that you will direct us, and that we will walk in truth and obedience to you. May we all that we do bear, bear fruit, and may we profess our hope in you through our actions, our words and our attitudes, and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' loving name, we pray. Amen. And now let us finish together with the words of the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Thank you all for listening. May the Lord bless you and may you be a blessing to others this week.